0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking.
1: Hi, and welcome to the 263rd episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of K. Barton Tools, and I'm here with my co-host, Diami Plotkey of the Penultimate Woodshop. And tonight we're visiting with accomplished woodworker and flooring industry expert, Jeff Branch. <laughs> and hey. uh, before we get started, I thought I'd do a little shout out, so roll tide. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> roll tide back to you there there you well uh hook them horns more in my <laughs> <laughs> but anyway but thanks for joining us oh this is great i get to talk about woodworking for the rest of the evening what could be better that's right that's right so before we get started and finding out what you're up to and doing um let's let's uh, oh, there seems to be some
0: woodworking news
1: community and uh see what's out there um yeah i found a few things out there um i saw that uh grizzly has introduced uh, a new router table a cast iron router table and it's pretty interesting um it's 795 800 bucks but it looks like a really solid table and there's another version that even has some um wings on it so you can either expand the work work surface but um, it's a nice looks like a nice table it's cast iron just introduced and it has a little enclosure uh, below the router for dust collection as well as above the on the fence for dust collection so yep. it looks like a pretty solid little uh, table there and seems to be fairly competitive especially for a cast iron top
0: yeah I, I pulled up the page and it's it's not loading mm-hmm. properly but I'm, I'm looking at a small image of it um does the lift come with the table? So for $800, bucks, mm-hmm. you are getting a cast iron table, a stand, table. and a lift? Correct. Wow.
1: Yeah, so that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty good.
0: I would
1: say so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, they just introduced that, so no reviews or anything like that. But um, if you're in the market for a router tables, um, especially if you want a lift and all those type of creature comforts, you might want to um, go over to Grizzly and take a look at that. I need a router lift. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I've got one of those Triton routers with the big one with the built-in kind of lift. And it works all right, but it's not as good as a lift. But it's gotten me by all these years. But, yeah, a lift sure would
0: be nice. I've got one in the attic in a box.
1: <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you might be able to buy that from Deami.
0: <laughs>
2: well, let me know. <laughs> mine is built into the base of my router, and uh, it just does not extend far enough above the table. Uh, okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. How well, is it in I'm, terms
0: of the adjustments? You know, do you, is your, your course and fine good enough, and it's just a, a bear to switch bits, or it actually doesn't rise up enough to be functional?
2: I literally have to uh, adjust the bit higher in the collet to get it to extend sometimes uh, high enough oh. to make
1: a cut. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that problem with that track and it'll go all the way up above the table so you can change bits and all of that. So in that, in that case, it's, it's fine. It's just, you know, the fine adjustment is, you know, a bit lacking, but if you, if you fiddle around with it, you get there pretty easily. But anyway, um, so next up, I thought this might interest you, Deami. Um, There's this company. Elka silk, something like that. Um Elka silk plus, I think is the name of the product, but it's a sanding sponge type uh, type of product, but it's built for power sanders, anything from you know your typical little vibrating sander to uh, and they also sell discs for random orbit sanding and stuff of that nature. So looks like it'd be really nice for curved work and and um, applications, yeah. Yeah, I think we're starting to get a bunch of the stuff that was uh, at FWSA. Starting to get some um, uh, some actual reviews or announcements on some of the stuff that was introduced there. So, but it looks like a pretty neat uh, pretty neat product. I don't it have looks, any information like- on pricing or anything of that nature, but I mean, it's basically a a foam like those foam sanding pads you can buy to hand sand, but it's kind of like a little bit thicker than that. Well, it actually comes in three different thicknesses. Um, and you can, you know, like I said, use it on a power sander.
0: Well, it, that's intriguing because the... Um, it looks like
1: the five and six inch even have holes in it for uh, dust collection. Yeah,
0: so. yeah, they do. I'm, I'm looking at that right now. Yeah, But it's it's a pad and sandpaper in one. Mm-hmm. And s- when you get to the really high grits, the, you know, 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, that's typically how they come. Um, yeah. But while I will be the first to complain that the spongy interface pads from 3M and from Festool don't last long enough. I mean, I can go through them in a day. I can b- burn one out. But they do mm-hmm. at least last multiple sheets of paper. Whereas in this case, the paper and the sponge being one, they're going to, you know, they're going to have the same lifespan. So... I would want. I, I'm really curious to know what their pricing is because they they would need to be priced to be disposable because that's what they are.
1: Right, right. And uh, hey, it says uh, on their website it says request your sample pack today. So um, I'm um, doing it now. Doing it now. So uh, anyway, um, for those the uh, the name of the company is so. Unita You n double e d a enterprises so um uh check it out um and uh order a sample pack
0: <laughs> <Absolutely>.
1: <laughs> so
0: no, that, that's very intriguing where did you see that um
1: it was on the uh the website i always check uh for woodshop news oh okay that's that's a website I always check about new stuff. It's more of an industry website, but they do they do uh, announce you know a lot of hobbyist stuff there too.
0: I could see a professional needing this.
1: Hmm. Yeah, because I think one of the applications they have is on uh, lamp on uh, the solid surface materials. So yeah, I could definitely see it there. Okay. so sorry I'm just I'm just submitting for my free sample pack um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway and uh, let me uh, for anybody that's uh, interested in that uh, the uh, website looks like it's uh, sandpapercom and um, is the uh, is a the domain there but anyway also I saw um, oneida has a new a dust collector called a supercell dust collector, and it's made for the small shop, made to run through, you know, um, one inch to five inch um, ducting. And apparently, it moves a lot of air at a high volume. So it's kind of like, uh, I guess, a shot vac on super steroids. Mm. Or super serum, I guess, but um, it is pricey. <laughs> it looks like a great solution for a, a small shop, but I think it starts about twenty four hundred dollars yeah. for Ooh. for the unit. So does
0: it, does it switch? Between... It is pricey,
1: but if you look at you know some of the bigger you know cyclone units, by the time you add that and all the ducting, you might be in that price range. So.
0: Does it um, does it yeah. switch between the high velocity and the standard velocity, or is it only high velocity?
1: I think it's only high velocity, but I could be wrong. There looks like they say high pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Ten times higher suction than standard collectors.
1: Yeah. So it
0: can capture dust and debris from any one to five inch diameter port through up to one hundred foot of four inch hose and ductwork
1: yep so you know as far as your duck work you know on a on a big cyclone you're running what six inch at you want to be running like six uh, at, a, at a
0: minimum you might be doing yeah
1: doing that. yeah so you could you know like i said it is kind of pricey but by time you look at you know lower cost for duck duck work and um things it might be might be worse. and i mean you can get it up to a 55 gallon drum so it's definitely made for you know Capturing a lot of dust. It is uh, two twenty,
0: though. That looks so, like it, it belongs yeah. in, a, in a production shop where you're you're connecting hand sanders and stuff to it, and it just lives there. Yeah, it sucks and sucks. Yeah,
1: but anyway, I thought it was kind of an interesting, interesting take. Kind of a smaller form factor, but it seemed to be uh, seemed to be nice. But again, pricing. Well,
0: if um, if you're on the Oneida website, and you go to the dust deputy dust collector kits and you go to the super dust deputy Mm -hmm. and you watch the rotating gallery of images uh you might see one that is sitting behind me right now oh really i did not know that i had that brought to my attention by ben strano a couple weeks ago actually i didn't realize they had my picture up there (laughs) (laughs)
1: well that's cool that's cool yeah I'm not. I'm not seeing that.
0: Uh, did you go to the? You want to? I'm on the page now. Right. So you go to Dust Deputy, and then choose uh, Dust Collector Kits, and then choose Super Dust Deputy Five in Cyclone.
2: Okay. Never mind.
0: And then uh, yeah, then you'll see. There's a little slideshow. I'm like the fifth or sixth one in there.
1: <laughs> which uh, which Super Dust? The five deputy, inch. the five-inch
0: super dust deputy five-inch cyclone is what the, the product is titled. Okay, the for the low, low price of one hundred seventy bucks, and I will, I will tell you, it is well worth it. Uh, no yeah, I have fantastic. one of
1: those too. Yeah, yeah, for my one stage. Okay, I'm, I'm waiting for you to cycle through. This is great podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I see it now. Yeah. Very impressive. That, that that is nice. That is nice. Congratulations.
0: Yeah. I think I've, you know I've I've reached the. Uh, the pinnacle of my woodworking fame at this point um <laughs> yeah to wrap it all up now
1: you're world famous now so and then the last thing i have is kind of more of a uh, review um i guess a couple of months ago um lee valley came out with the veritas drill stop gauge and um about everything drilling. So I picked one of these up and I've had it uh, about a couple of weeks and it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it helps you set um, the height on a uh, drill bit. So whether you're putting tape or a stop collar on it or something like that, it's real easy to set the height much better than trying to use a, a ruler. And um, it's, it's kind of like a, a two sided ruler, um, but the sides are at a oblique angle to each other. So instead of being like 90 degrees, like you see a lot of, of those type of rulers, this one's like at 110 degrees. So mm. it's really easy to lay the drill bit in there and adjust a stop collar or just put it there and put a piece of tape on their drill bit. So, um, And it's $7. That's not <laughs>
0: so. the Does it have – I mean I realize there's – I'm looking at it now. There's an etched mm. – uh, it's black anodized with the I'm right. assuming laser etched. Um,
1: exactly. It's aluminum. It. Yeah.
0: So it's easy enough to see. But mm-hmm. is there any way to add like a positive stop to it so that, you know, if you wanted to go. I'm not sure why you couldn't just leave the stop on the on the bit, But let's say you wanted to go back to the same thing. Could you put I guess you could probably put a clamp or something on one side. I'm probably overthinking this.
1: Yeah, I think you're overthinking it. But, um, yeah, you probably could. You could probably put a little clamp or something like that if you wanted to just make a stop Uh like you said to go back to a setting that you'd done but yeah but it works really well I, I was I was impressed so and at seven bucks highly recommended
0: <laughs> it costs more to ship
1: yeah I'm you know when they have their free shipping you know just you know when you're when you're seven dollars away from getting that $40 exactly. minimum order just throw that on there <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ellie you might need to
1: that's right. That's right. So um, that's all I had. Anything you've uh, you've seen out there,
0: Deani? Uh I'm gonna say no. I I uh, I am not on the pulse of the woodworking uh, news world that you are, Kyle. So I, I I tip my hat to your your being so aware of what's going on. Um, right now, I'm I'm fairly clueless. <laughs>
1: well uh, i just do it when i put the show notes together takes me about 30 minutes I just ramble through some stuff but um and i try to try to keep some notes on stuff i see but uh anyway but let's move on to what's in the shop so uh diami what's going what's going on in your shop well
0: um as has been more often true than not over the last two years or so I have one of the slabs from the entertainment centers stretched across my table saw and my outfeed support, and I'm using it as a desk right now as we record. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's different about it now is the finish that I was previously working to build up and level off uh, is now mostly sanded off. Um, oh. Yeah. I was...
1: Are we going a different direction?
0: I'm I'm taking a couple steps back to hopefully take fewer yeah. steps forward. Okay. Um, the there's a spot on it where the coloring, which is you know it's a it's a dyed shellac underneath coat of uh, varnish essentially,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: um, I wasn't thrilled with the coloring, and I realized that there were these tiny little voids and divots that were going to take far more coats of varnish than i wanted to apply to get them to to be completely glass smooth and that's what i'm looking for for this one top piece the other three slabs they're good they're they're not great by any means but they're good and where they're going to be installed where they're underneath this one it's not going to matter they are they're better than they need to be for the way they're going to be installed i'm trying to be realistic about where stuff's going to be But Mm -hmm. this is the top surface of the entertainment center, and it's going to be about waist high when it's all done. So it's not as though it's going to be high and and out of sight. Um, So I want this one surface to be flawless. Um, Mm -hmm. So I sanded off the varnish, and now I've probably sanded off, depending on area to area, I've sanded off about a quarter of the shellac. Something like that. Um, and all the little voids that I put the dyed epoxy in, even now, some of them are still like, they're filled with epoxy, but it's a divot. It's not completely flush with the surface. Mm-hmm. So I think I need to do more pore treatment before I get to the point of um, of reapplying the dye and applying the, the varnish. Ultimately, if I start with a, with a flat... Um, mm-hmm. Smooth, consistent surface that doesn't have all these all these pores in it. It should be easier to build up a, a smooth, perfect finish that I want. Um, have you
1: looked at some of those clear pore fillers? Well, I've
0: been going back and forth on a number of them. There's yeah. a there is a clear pore filler that I own. I, I think I got it years ago when Mark suggested it, and I've not used yeah. it. Yeah. And okay, I pulled it up out of the basement, and I was looking at it, and. I I read it and I was like no no frigging way it's water based and it talks about raising the grain and I for the life of me I don't understand water based finishes like I don't ever want to put a finish on that requires me to sand after that so um, so that was a and it, and it it talked about I don't remember what it was cautioning about but there was some, oh you can't use shellac over it because um, the alcohol in the shellac will dissolve it. So I was like, Well no, I'm not yeah. doing that. Uh so that one's not happening. And mm-hmm. ultimately I was like, Well, I do have all the epoxy still, so I could just do the epoxy. But then I was listening to um to the Dusty Life and I am solid a solid month behind in my podcast listening. So this is far from their most recent episode, right. but anybody who saw my recent uh post on Instagram, I asked them the question. I haven't gotten an answer back yet. Um because they, they were talking about using bondo as a pore filler and how how it it shrinks not at all and it's mm-hmm. easily sandable and those two pr- tra- traits sound fantastic. I'm not a purist by any means, so I have I don't have right. any objection to bondo, but the questions I have are: Can the bondo itself be dyed? And it, as I thought more and more about that, it dawned on me that I probably don't need to dye the Bondo if the tinted shellac will stick to the Bondo, and if I can just put the colored finish over it. Um, so, I think I may yeah. pick up a little thing well, of Bondo and play with it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had
1: to I had to use Bondo once on a underside of a table I did. I was resawing it, and you know, you know, sometimes when, um, well, before I knew much about resawing, this is years and years ago, it kind of dished in the middle. Mm-hmm. And this was going to be in a, on the underside of the table. And even though it's on the underside of the table, it kind of irked me. <laughs> and so I filled it with Bondo just to see. And it sanded down fine, but, you know, it looks like Bondo. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think a dyed shellac is going to, do much except maybe tint the bondo a little blue oh. blue gray um bear in mind
0: too that, that would, i'm not that talking about like filling yeah. in a big dip these are tiny little specks all over the place
1: yeah well i think you would have like little blue gray specks over everything once you <laughs> yeah i don't know try and see I, uh, yeah, I gotta do that. yeah but uh yeah i don't know i mean it, it'll work it'll fill the pores that's for sure yeah. um and if you wanted to paint it...
0: No, but, no, see, that's not... Yeah. I, yeah,
1: I, ultimately, that's, yeah, I may be back the to the... Uh, it, yeah.
0: I may be back to the epoxy, but I, I'm not... Yeah. Another reason why I I was motivated to sand it back is because mm-hmm. on one end, I have some pig's tails in the, oh, yeah. in the wood that were well <clears> under <throat> the finish. Um <clears throat> And I... I don't know, like, the, the Rotex with 36 grit gets the epoxy off, but it, it leaves a, a sanding pattern like nobody's business. And yeah. I haven't found an effective with, with the ungodly number of Sanders I have, I have not found one that is a, ef- that is effective at material removal without leaving, uh, you know, a distinctive sanding pattern. And then I've, I've struggled when I've when I've done, I figured okay, let me do something aggressive and it leaves a sanding pattern. But then I'll go with a gentler sander and just get the sanding pattern off. I've been unable to get the sanding patterns off. Um, no, so uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I have 30.
1: one of those fast tool that only has the three millimeter uh, throw and mm-hmm. it'll leave pigtails. Yeah, especially in higher grits, it'll leave pigtails. Even in low grits, it will if you really get down and look at it. Yeah, so I always hand sand everything after I gone through it.
0: But yeah.
1: Yeah, it's um, yeah, let's I don't know what to tell you there.
0: Right now I've got my uh my 3x21 belt sander. Mm-hmm. sitting on the on the <laughs> table, but it's um it's an old DeWalt. It's got this square mm-hmm. fitting for dust collection and mm-hmm. it's a, it's not a bad sander, but you cannot connect it to a dust collector. Um and it's just a bloody mess. So Even those
1: little Rockler, that Rockler thing that yeah, they came square. out with, it's square. Yeah, I know. But it's, it's like but one
0: by two, and it's made to sli- one. Have, the, have the bag slide over it. Like it, it doesn't uh, have a proper lip. Um, yeah. I was thinking of getting the, the Rockler ones because I could use them to connect to my big sander. But I have a big. It's a Makita. It's a. It's a four by twenty-six. I don't know. It's it's the big, you know, big size mm-hmm. belt sander. That thing's got to weigh twenty pounds. Like it's just it's a beast. And right. It takes finish off like nobody's business. Excuse me, but it leaves a very coarse finish. And then, I don't know. I I I need to redo the surface. Is really the long and short of it. Like I wasn't happy with where it was going, so I started to start start over. And I think I need to back up even more. So, so
1: how wide is your uh, is your shelf?
0: Uh, This particular one is, I want to say, it's sixteen inches. I'd have to put a tape on it to know for sure. Honestly, I've forgotten. I think it's sixteen. Well, you know what you have up in your attic. Yeah, you want to come up and help me manhandle this thing through that drum sander.
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, you you have those little rigid uh, stands, right? It'll work. Trust me. Trust me. It'll work.
0: (laughs) As soon as you come to help.
1: I'll be up there in April, okay?
0: All right. Uh, I hope, God hope it's done by then.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I wish I could think of something that that would fill those pores easily and sand off. But.
0: The problem with the, with the epoxy is, like, I went fairly heavy and had lots of epoxy yeah. to sand off. But then what I'm finding is that the epoxy that's in the pores, it's shrunken in a little bit. And it's not – I figured by building yeah. it up nice and high, I'd sand it down to be flat. And that's not proven to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't know. Maybe I just need to do, you know, the way you build up multiple small coats to finish. Maybe you got to do multiple small coats of the epoxy.
1: Yeah, that's what I would think too. Yeah. Mm. Yeah,
0: So, that's uh, that's what's been going on in my shop. Lots of uh, fun, productive stuff.
1: Well, I've been uh, I've just just been fulfilling my orders and working on prototypes for my uh, well fulfilling orders for my Windsor stretcher uh, drilling jig, and then uh, working on prototypes for a couple of new jigs coming out. So,
0: um, sales of the uh, of the initial jig are going well. They seem. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I had a I had a good uh bad batch of initial orders and I've gotten a few orders since then. So yeah, it's going good. So um but, you know, I think I did a post about actually doing production work and it's kind of interesting, you know, when I made, you know, there's a couple of pieces of this drilling jig I have to turn or 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 make the center finder and the base units. And when you're making one or two of those, I mean, it it goes relatively quick, but when you're making a whole bunch of them, say like twenty of them, it's like every step. Hey, this step only takes you know a few minutes to do, but when you multiply that times twenty, there goes most of your day.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> you know,
1: on this one little step, and it's just like uh, it, it's it's interesting. But man, I've gotten a lot faster at turning. <laughs>
0: well, have you heard uh, Kyle Toth talk about his tap handles and about how? I forget, I couldn't tell you the exact times, but he's gone. You know, he, I think he does one now in like a third of the time he yeah. did when he starts. But he's made a couple oh, thousand yeah. of them by now.
1: Yeah, I mean, these little base units. When when I was making onesies and twosies, uh, I was it was taking me maybe. Forty minutes to to do one, you know, and it's, you know, kind of exacting. Now I can do one about fifteen. Okay, uh, yeah, I basically cut the time in half, if not a little more. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting. And 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 not only that, but um, they look as good, if not better, than the ones I spent more time on. So,
0: so what you're saying is yeah. that people should be buying them now, now that you've worked the kinks out on those first orders. They're getting the really nice ones now. Uh,
1: yes, exactly, exactly. No, the first orders will be nice too. Um, I, I did, I did take my time, time on those, and I had to reject a couple of things, oh, couple, okay. couple of them. So just like, no, that's not going to work. Let me redo it. But, but it is interesting. And uh, like I said, I have a I have a couple more um, jigs in the work. Um, probably the one that'll come out the soonest is going to be a. Um, boring jig for Windsor seat. So when you're drilling your leg holes and spindle holes, um, it should make it as simple and easy as my stretcher jig. So, um, I pretty much got all, all the things worked out on that. I need to make a couple of tweaks and then, uh, make a pre-production model. And, um, so hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll release something on that.
0: I can't wait. That sounds, yeah. And that I'm trying I'm struggling to think of a reason why I would need to, or an odd angle in a non-winter chair, but that should work outside of that's a little bit less specific than winter chairs, I would imagine, right? Yeah, it
1: would work. It would work for all kinds of things, especially if there's any like large uh, piece of furniture where you need to bring like the tool to the to the work. Okay, um, like a, like, like a
0: like a twelve foot long entertainment center.
1: Exactly, exactly. Let's say you had to drill a hole in the middle of that thing. Mm-hmm. This would work perfectly
0: for that. <laughs> Excellent.
1: As well, you know, to drill 90-degree holes as well as
0: all angles of holes. I could just, like, yeah. make, the t- make the top surface. Rather than going for a glass smooth, I'll just make it a series of holes.
1: Yes. Yes, it would be an art piece, you know, kind of like Swiss cheese, you know? But it'd still be structurally sound. Of course. Yes.
0: I'll just have to dye <laughs> the inside of all the holes we drill.
1: Ooh, Yeah. No, no. I, I think I think just making it flat and flat, flat and smooth that'll be that'll be fine. But
0: What's well, the problem <laughs> is I don't do flat and smooth. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but uh, but that's what I've been working on and I'm having I'm have like I said this production work is is something else but I'm really having a good time with it and i um, so
0: proud of it. it
1: yeah, yeah, it's, and uh, someday I'll get back to building chairs, but uh, for right now, I'm having a good time. Think so, about
0: this, though. When you have all your jigs, I don't know how long it took you to build a chair, but you're going to be able to make one in, what, a morning?
1: Exactly. Well, hopefully with all these jigs that I'm going to be developing, I'll take all the um, – I guess some all a lot of the um, excruciating challenges out of building a chair where you think you're going to mess up, and you can spend your time on the fun part, like carving seats and working on the shave horse and stuff like that. So, um, so that's what I'm shooting for. But I think, like I said, um, anyone that's built a bunch of chairs and is uh, you know doing this uh, as a living or as a uh, or as a hobby to uh, to sell chairs. You know, these jigs may or may not be, you know, your cup of tea because, you know, it's always once you get a process down, it's hard for you to switch and learn or Mm. or switch to a new process. Um, So but for those hobbyist chair makers or those just getting into it, I think uh, I think these jigs will be will be great for them because it really lowers um, some of the pain and um, consternation you have with uh, uh, drilling. Um, doing your drilling operations and saying, you know, am I getting this right? Am I going to screw this up and have to go back? You know, this'll, you know, just lock you in where um, you'll be able to, uh, um, you know, have success.
0: Excellent.
1: Yeah. So uh, Jeff, so what have you been working on in your shop? I am in the middle of making a
2: end table, Which uh, is my design, and um, I have to tell you, I designed 42 mortise and tenon joints in this table. (laughs) It's got a series of slats uh, along the sides and across the back, and each slat has a mortise and tenon joint at each end. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the normal mortise and tenon joints on the legs. So I've had to come up with a lot of jigs uh, that helps make
1: the process repeatable. But this is my are, first table. Go ahead. Are these through mortises? Or, I mean, are, are you going to show the tenon on the other side? Or no, they're not. Just... They're not. They're just in okay. pockets. And um, mm-hmm. But still, it
2: was something that when I designed it, I thought this was the best way to do it. And then when mm-hmm. I started working on it, it's like, man and it's in white oak um so but i've i've gotten through that part of it and i've got a few more um design features to work through i'm going to pre-finish the whole thing before i glue it up mm-hmm. okay and um, yeah yeah with all the slats i just did not see how i was going to get a good finish in it and so i'm getting close to have actually having to sand everything down and um begin to glue up
1: yeah yeah I built a um uh um nakashima couch well actually two of them well one's one was a prototype and other one' was the actual thing but um it had these uh, uh spindles square spindles and each one of those had mortise and tenon joints on the end of them and I don't know how many there are, but they're probably i don't know at least thirty of them so that's probably sixty. <laughs> Mortise and tenon, little mortise and tenon joints for each of the, uh, each of the little uh, spindles. Um, I just use a domino. I, that's a good solution, but it's an expensive one.
0: That's I was uh, going to ask, are they all traditional yeah. mortise and tenon joints, Jeff? Are they what now? They're all done traditionally? You're, you're cutting integral tenons and square mm-hmm. mortises?
2: Well, they're – I'm um, using a plunge router, so it's not a square mortise. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm having to make the tenons to match, but that's not a big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but pre-finishing, that's what I did on that, and that was a lifesaver, you know, <laughs> being able to pre-finish all that, especially when you're uh, – when you got those many joints to put together. And I recommend hide glue. <laughs> well, I'll have to do something. I have not actually
2: um, – I've not I mean normally at this point in my project I've got everything glued up and then I start um mm-hmm. sanding and stuff like that. I've never actually pre-finished this many parts before, so it's <laughs> very different.
0: I'm assuming that yeah. takes a lot of shop, shop space to pre-finish all those parts.
2: Well, I'm about to find out. <laughs> <laughs> I actually hadn't thought of that.
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. um Yeah, what what I did when I had all those little spindles to do is I just I made you know some real basic little uh, trays out of half inch plywood where the the um, the tenons could rest on the edge of those edge of the uh, plywood, so Mm -hmm. you could just stack them, and uh, that way you could finish the you could do the finish the entire spindle and just you know kind of place it there and let it dry move on to the next one but yeah it's 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 a mess but um it's nice when you get everything glued up and 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 uh, and you're sitting there, okay, I'm done.
2: <laughs> well, what's a nightmare is getting yeah. into it after all that work and realizing that you should have
1: pre-finished. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, the reason I said high glue on it is because high glue not only gives you a long open time, but if you miss any squeeze out, you can get rid of it later with just uh, some warm water and a toothbrush. I'll give it a try. I've never used hot glue, so yeah, yeah, ju- the liquid hide glue. Uh, type bond makes one, and there's another one, old brown glue. Um, both of them work well. Um, old brown glue you have to warm up a little bit. Type bond's a little bit, you know it needs to be, you know can be a cold day, but um, it can be at room temperature and work pretty well. Okay. Well, we don't have any cold days here in Alabama right now. Well, that's right. That's right. But you will. See, I never have any cold days. <laughs> it gets 40 degrees here and it's cold. <laughs> but, uh, but what? What? Well,
2: that's about it, though. I've got a broken bandsaw I'm trying to fix. What and um,
0: What's what broken it?
2: I cannot get the top uh, wheel to uh, tension correctly. Hmm. And just when I think I've got it Tensioned, I'll start using it, and the blade will slip off, and I'll ruin the blade. And I've replaced parts. It's a Jet, fourteen-inch bandsaw. Um, there is a known problem with the tensioning mechanism, but I've actually ordered a replacement, and that did not fix the problem. So I'm is about loaded up
1: steel frame Euro style mm-hmm. ones. Okay,
2: or no, a- it's not a, it's not that. It's the older style, the old,
1: uh, like the like the Delta. Yeah. It's Bill kind
2: does. of a yeah. C shaped. Yeah. And, um, I'm about to load it up in a pickup truck and take it to the, we've got a repair center here in town. Let them Lucky mess with you it. Too. Yeah. That's nice. So you got a repair center. It's just getting it there and, <laughs> um, taking the time to get it there. Exactly.
1: So, um, so, um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, how you got into woodworking. Well, actually, I have my wife to thank for that. Um, I
2: was um, it was my senior year at Alabama in um, my last semester and we were looking at courses. We were dating then um, and she suggested that I try um an industrial arts class i had all my requirements out of the way so i took a class called wood technology and it just became a basic woodworking shop class so um i look back on it now and i realize how fortunate i was to have um a semester long uh woodworking shop class where i met twice a week with uh uh, in class. And I built a, uh, writing table, which I designed and, um, just never looked back. I've been woodworking now for 36 years. So, um, I'm very fortunate to have gotten a, uh, start that way where I can have a lot of good hands-on training. And, um, so we did that, uh, we moved to our current house um, about, I don't know, three, four years later, and one of the things that was a requirement was space to do woodworking, so um, just kept at it.
1: Well, cool. Cool. Now, yeah. Now, um... Now, yeah. uh, your day job, you also work kind of with wood, or <laughs> <Not> sort of. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> in my day job, I'm working a lot more with plastic wood.
2: Plastic wood. Yeah. Okay. Laminate uh, A real yeah. trend right now is waterproof flooring, and that is something that is as hot as, as fire right now. We do have a nice high-end um, hardwood line, and, you know, we talk about French oak, and I'm thinking, I can show you some French oak, you know. <laughs> um, that, for, but, the, for
0: people who don't know, you uh, your day job is, uh, you're doing wholesale sales of flooring?
2: Do I'm a manufacturer's sales? rep f- um, for one of the flooring manufacturers. We're primarily a carpet mill first, and then everybody's had to diversify and get into hard surface as carpet has declined in... But I'm in a, uh, a high-end manufacturer, and we've got everything from wool products and imported rugs uh, and a high-end wow. hardwood line. So, um, But I travel uh, all of Alabama and northern Mississippi, and so I wish I could do woodworking more often, but
1: um, uh, I travel a lot now during mm-hmm. the week. So what kind of floor do you have in your shop? Concrete, oh, <laughs> that's waterproof, man. Yeah, that's waterproof. <laughs> well, it's waterproof. Good old concrete, okay. Just, just wondering because I know a lot of the uh, the fad now is to get uh, the rubberized flooring. I've actually looked into that too because I have concrete too and I got a bunch of pads all over the place, but it doesn't seem to save me that much. <laughs> well, I've better, got a every time I go to the gym, I look at the flooring and went, This would be nice in my shop. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably better.
2: I've got a pad right in front of my workbench and there are times I wish I didn't have it.
0: Really? was it? that?
2: Um, it can slide. I really probably need to replace it, but okay. it will slide around. Oh yeah. Um, and uh, it's hard to, to, I still use a uh, broom and dustpan as a dust collector
1: for a lot of my stuff. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, it just seems to get everywhere. Yeah, that's, that's, that is. So, um, so a lot of so not only have you been doing woodworking for for what thirty four years um, but you've now doing a lot of designing correct
2: I have always um, yeah. designed my own projects occasionally I will um, if there's a shop fixture that um, you know someone's already worked out i'll mm-hmm just adopt something from a magazine, but most of my furniture is something that I have designed, and I like that part of it, Um, and I can design something to fit specific spaces. Oftentimes, when we've gone to shop for furniture, it's hard to find something that fits, Mm -hmm. so I will just, um, like the table I'm building right now, it's replacing a table I built a number of years ago, and really, the only thing that's wrong with it is the top needs to be refinished but i want it to be a little bit bigger um i want it to do um i want to actually house some electronics in it mm-hmm. and so okay. i just decided to rebuild it
0: i heard you were replacing it because the old one didn't have enough mortises <laughs> <laughs> no
2: nah. um really funny thing is i used to do a lot of dowel joinery And Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of getting away from that. But that table was something – it had uh, the first turn legs that I ever did. It was a very much a uh, historic reproduction-type table. But um, right now, I'm finding that uh, I'm looking at more modern-type furniture. Um, I like people like uh, Philip Morley. Um, Mm -hmm. I just love the work he does. Mike Pekovic. And so um, I'm
1: just looking at a lot of different types of, of design work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Phillip's a great guy. Um, uh, we've had him on the, on the podcast and I've met him several times and he's a great guy. And he's paid me $100 to say that.
0: But <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> I, I feel remiss. I should, Mike is a nice guy, too.
2: Yeah, (laughs) We were fortunate to have him at our woodworking guild back in, uh, I think it was March. And um, that was a real treat to get to meet him. He taught uh, his uh, cabinet on stand Mm -hmm. for two days, and uh, I found him to be just a really, really great
0: guy. You you guys have quite the guild down there.
2: It's actually – I put a lot of stuff on Instagram about it because I'm just amazed at what we have here. And the Woodworking Education Center is a 3,500-square-foot building. Um, it houses some amazing professional-grade tools. We have people that are regularly there doing maintenance work on these tools. Um, we get donation. We just had three new Laguna 14-inch bandsaws donated to us,
0: yeah, uh, that. Like, a
2: lot of new audio-visual equipment that we've uh, been able to get. We're very active in securing grants, and so it's a very professional organization. We've got roughly 260 members, and um, I just wish I had done this. Uh, I've only been a member for about five years, and I just kind of fought... Um, being committed to something like that, but uh, it's just an amazing organization, a very financially sound organization, and um, so I'm, I'm real fortunate to have it. Uh, especially, it's about a 20 minute drive from my shop. I tell people I will never have to buy a major power tool again.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just go down there. Incredible. Yeah, like if my bandsaw is not working, there's three new Laguna bandsaws <laughs> down there to use.
0: It sounds Man. like the amazing part is that not only do they have the equipment, but it's maintained.
2: It yep. is. It's maintained. Uh, it's constantly being upgraded. Um, I'm just amazed at um, the uh, level of tools that we have there. And there's we don't have a domino. I wish we had a, a Festool <laughs> domino. But um, just about everything else, and usually there's multiples of everything else.
1: Yeah, I know. That's yeah. I've seen pictures that you had posted, and it is incredible. It's an old schoolhouse, large, yeah. huge
2: windows, a lot of natural light. It's just really a uh, treat to get down there
1: and uh, use the facilities. So, what's your annual annual dues for joining the guild? It's a hundred dollars.
2: <laughs> Can I drink? And 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 that's actually, I think. When yeah, I first that, that might started, be worth the commute. <laughs> When I first joined, I think it was $50. Wow. Mm-hmm.
0: And we bring in, you know, Mike yeah. Pekovich has been there. We've had mm-hmm. Jeff Miller. We've had – If um, you're going to do a class like that, if Mike was there teaching for two days or Jeff's there teaching for a couple of days, does that cost the members more to do something like that? Or are the dues enough to to pay for them and do everything?
2: No. There's a uh, – I think Mike Pekovic was $175, which I think is still a steal.
0: Oh, yes. yeah. Absolutely.
2: Oh, yeah. So, um, it does cost, but, um, I mean, you've, these people come in and they are just full of information and just mm-hmm. the ideas they have and the things that you get exposed to. Um, so, I would encourage anybody listening, if there's a guild close by that uh, – and there's a lot of really good guilds around the country. Yeah, um, I just wish I had joined a long time ago. We've had uh, Glenn Huey there, Bob Lang. Uh, Just a number of nationally known woodworkers uh, in our guild uh, teaching.
0: About how frequently do you have somebody come in and do a class like that? You know, bring somebody from the outside in rather than have a member talk?
2: Uh, We try to do it twice a year. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, we'll have Mike next year. We're trying to get a luthier. We have an amazing – there's groups within the guild. We have an amazing luthier group. There's a very active hand tool group. Um, There's also a very active uh, what we call a toy group. And we make toys out of wood like little uh, airplanes and helicopters. Mm -hmm. And these are sent to children's hospitals uh, in – both Alabama and surrounding states and there's a number of other organizations that we support usually dealing with children and um, traumatic situations they've been in so we Mm -hmm. make thousands of these toys each year and so the guild has actually got a very good uh, community position and then there's these other groups that um, will be developed to there's a turning group so, there's a lot of specialty groups within the guild that uh, are very
1: active and they do really good work. Mm. So, you mentioned also that y'all apply for grants and stuff. So, I guess that, that helps with some of the funding. It does, but yeah. we're just fortunate to have people who know how to do that because it yeah. is extremely complex. Yeah, grant writing is definitely a skill. It's a career. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. <laughs> Actually, it is. We we are yeah. training some people to help do it, um, mm-hmm. just for redundancy. You know. Yeah, yeah. In my former life uh, in the medical uh, industry, you know, we do all the hospitals I work for major research institutions, also. So yeah, there's whole departments dedicated to grant grant writing, grant administration, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's definitely a uh, unique skill set. And we
2: go out within the community and participate in, um, you know, fairs and just different events to try to drum up uh, visibility. And so it's a very active guild. It's actually growing. It's very financially sound. So um,
1: it's just a great organization. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm impressed because, I mean, Houston has nothing like that. Um, so it's just incredible. I mean, I think they have some maker spaces, but nothing that's of that level. Um, but that is tremendous. Mm-hmm. So uh, so tell us a little bit about um, um, your website. So I know you have some some free plans that uh, a lot of the stuff that you design you you put out there for free that anyone can come and download a copy of. I have uh, 15 free plans, and uh, these are just things I have fun. So it's not not 15,000? No. (laughs) (laughs) I was mistaken. You know, I thought that email came from you. I thought it was uh, uh, 15,000 plans.
2: Is it that few now? I thought it would probably (laughs) 200,000 by now. I still get spam. It's like somebody should know by now how to stop that.
1: (laughs) I know. I know. (laughs) But, 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 no, those are those are great, great plans that you have up there, too. I mean,
2: I like typography. Um, I have an interest in page design. So, um, this word working kind of helps me in a lot of different ways uh, to kind of do what I want to do. And, um the plans I use, I use SketchUp for a lot of that. SketchUp is something that's become very important to me, and I use it as a design tool, but I use it as an illustration tool, and um, I'm trying to improve my illustration, so now I'm using Photoshop, and I'm using multiple images out of SketchUp and combining them so that I can get best, better, uh, communicate better visually in some of these images, and um, but it's it's like right now i'm not into woodworking plans i'm doing i'm building something and i'll get tired of that a little bit and i'll go back to Mm -hmm. um i'll get the itch to make a woodworking plan so i've got 15 free i've got five on etsy that are paid for and um you know maybe one day i'll have 30 40 plans i don't know
0: there was a time when plans were a big focus weren't they
2: well, back when um, the recession hit, I was actually trying to sell them. I was doing all the stuff you're supposed to do with email uh, lists and stuff like that. And it just got to be where I had to um, make a decision on what I wanted to do. And uh, I just rather it not be something that I'm trying to sell people to buy my plans. And I just decided one day I was going to make them all free. And so the a lot of them are. I got the itch to start trying to sell them again, and I've had some success with that. I'm finding that um, workshop, like uh, shop furniture, tool cabinets, things like that. I've got one tool cabinet plan on there, and it is by far the best-selling plan that I have.
0: Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: So, right. I mean, I, I need to develop more um, stuff like that, but that's, that's – I've found so far is, is what people, what sales.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, that's kind of what I've heard out there too. I mean, you know, especially some of the, some of the folks we knew, we know that they may put out some videos on, uh, on furniture, they're building, but if they do something shop related, it's like, boy, that's where they get the biggest bang for their buck. It's so to speak. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, have you seen Mark's new MFT table thing he came up with? Storage? That looks fantastic. I just saw it, actually. <laughs> but but that's kind of the same thing. I mean, he builds some nice furniture and stuff like that. But I saw that that today when he did some posting on that. I was just like, hey, I I, I might be able to I could use one of those. <laughs> I bet he'll do really well with it. Oh, I'm sure he will. I, I, I'm sure I he will. But, but, it's, oh. but it's but it's but it's kind of interesting that shop furniture always, uh, you know, for the for the woodworker. I mean, it's it's something we can all relate to and something we can all get excited about. Yeah, yeah. whereas you know, if you're building a specific piece of furniture, that might a, that might you know um, that might appeal to you know a large segment of woodworkers, but not all woodworkers. But if it's shop, yeah, I've got one that's, oh, yeah. I've got one that's a real high style.
2: Um, it's not done anything. Uh, interesting thing is stuff like uh, shop furniture is uh, easy to actually explain. Uh, furniture projects are harder to communicate uh, what you need to do. You know, mm-hmm. so not only do they sell, they're easier plans to create.
0: And shop furniture, I think part of the allure is that it's a wonderful way to procrastinate. And that they'll build that wonderful, you know, period piece that's going to take them four years to make after they get the cart made or after they get the other thing done. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a good way for people to stall. I'm I'm sorry to pull you back to Mark's thing, but I'm looking at it and it's it's a nice piece of, of shop furniture, but I'm going to argue that he made it because the MFT table is a terrible device. And by folding the legs up and resting it on this rock-solid cart that he made, he has eliminated the fault of the MST table, which is the fact that it wobbles more than anything.
1: That, that could be the case, um, but I think he said it was in the way. But maybe that could be the case. Because this table is that,
0: smaller than an FMT table?
1: Well, no, it's just movable. It's on, it's on rollers. He can move it around. So. um but uh cuz i think where he had it was anyway but uh yeah i know i know you you always detract the wobbliness of the of the table and uh yeah it does wobble a little bit but i've never seen that to be a detriment when i've used it but anyway
0: i'm sorry we dig- <laughs> i digress
1: i don't have one so
0: neither do i <laughs>
1: But but no, it looked like uh, looked like a nice nice little thing. Uh, I, I'm just curious how high it is because uh, my MFT I got it I got it fairly up high and I like that as far as you know some of the operations I do and I really couldn't tell how high Marks was. It looked like it might be a little lower than, but that might work well too. I just
0: what's nice too is that just he's curious. Got, he's got everything on everything is mm-hmm. out of its sustainers and on in drawers and on yeah. shelves, which is the that's way the what stuff I really belongs. liked.
1: Yeah. That's what I really liked about it too. Um, because I definitely could, you know, use, use that aspect of it is to, uh, you know, get my, get, you know, my domino, my saws, all that stuff out of the sustainers and into either a drawer or a slide out shelf. But anyway, but uh, but sorry, see see how shop type furniture really excites everybody. <laughs> I guess is a story there. But um, so tell us, Jeff. So what's the favorite? What's been your favorite project so far? Or is it what you're currently working on? As it always is with me.
2: Well, my workbench just has to be my
1: favorite project.
2: Uh, I uh, and Diama, Di- you may remember this. Years ago, I built a twin beam torsion box workbench based on a design in final work yes, working magazine yes i do
0: i forget what they called it. it was one of their it weird. was a oh. josh
1: finn it was the uh is that uh, the one josh. that had that 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 what was that top that he had Homo-sode. on homosote so, so, homosote yeah. Yeah, yeah i have some of that and i use it for clamping pads
2: yeah so i use that for the longest time yeah. and um you know i watched the mike Seamson, I think is how you say his last time, mm-hmm. his video on uh, how you don't need to use, uh, how you can do woodworking without clamps. Mm-hmm. And right. I'm thinking, I know all about that. Uh, having a workbench now with a front vise and an end vise has been a dream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
2: I've got two now and I'm not going back. And uh, But this workbench was just really rewarding. I put off doing it for a long time just because a laminated top was intimidating to me. And fortunately, I got uh, another good thing about my guild is that when I took material down there to feed it through their big joiner and planer, there were two guys there to help me uh, feed them through. So I had some help with it, but I was able to get the workbench built. And it's a Moravian base, and it has a split-top rubo-type top to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and cool. it has just a standard metal front vice and a Veritas inset vice on the end and I've got a toolbox underneath it so my idea with it was to make it super heavy I didn't Mm -hmm. want it to be uh, like the Moravian is known to be portable Um, I wanted this to be more of a permanent type workbench and so I built it to be as heavy as I could make it and um, I've been very pleased with it
0: I'm looking at pictures of it on your website now it's a nice looking bench does um, well, does the top just bolt onto the legs? How does I can see how the legs are put together with what appear to be removable wedges, so that you can break mm-hmm. it down. Mm-hmm. Um. So how is the top attached to the legs?
2: There are cleats. I I looked at doing that a number of different ways. At one point, I was just literally going to drill through the top and drive dowels into through the top into the leg, mm-hmm. each mm-hmm. leg, and and not glue it to the legs uh, and that would, would work but I decided to simply put cleats underneath the top where the splayed legs uh, meet the top there's actually uh, cleats under there which I glued and screwed in place and so far it's worked mm-hmm. um, I keep thinking one day I'm going to hear a crack and those cleats are going to uh, one of the cleats are going to break off but um, so far it's been great great
0: mm.
2: Yeah, that, but it case. is it is a that joint where you have the front stretcher extend through the legs and there's a wedged um a wedge at each end, all of that was very uh that took a lot of thought to get that right.
0: Yeah. I can imagine there's yeah. probably more angles there than you'd think.
2: Mm-hmm. There's an angle, uh, the shoulders of the stretcher have to be at the right angle, and then you have an angle for the wedge, the shape of the wedge, um, in the end of each stretcher. So it was quite, quite complicated.
0: Outside of the fact that the, the, the legs coming down at those angles look interesting, is there a, you know, a performance benefit to putting the legs at that angle?
2: That was just – I wanted a historic-looking bench. I looked at um, a Nicholson bench, and at the time, everybody was doing the Rubo bench. Mm -hmm. And I saw this. It's the right size, and um, I just thought it looked good. And uh, the actual um, Moravian bench has an actually very small top to it. It's actually the tool tray on the back of the the top is bigger than the actual work surface. It is, and um, so that's why I didn't use that top, and I didn't want a big uh, – the, the area in front of my workbench is a walk zone from our cars to the uh, house, so it's actually a very narrow area, and I wanted a, a compact vice and just a standard metal vice. I got the biggest one Woodcraft had, and I was actually worried it was too big, but I
1: like having a big honking <laughs> so metal vise on the end of right. my workbench. Now, how do you like the uh, little inset vice? I, I actually have one myself and I find it quite quite adequate. In fact, I, I really like it.
2: I like it a lot. I was using mm. it. Actually, at one point, I was using it so much that I found myself not using the front vice. <laughs> now I'm using the front vice and I'm not using the inset vice as much. But there are times when it's good mm-hmm. to have both of them.
1: And um, I'm, I'm just very pleased with the whole thing. Yeah, cool that's so it's very nice and very nice uh, uh, bench so yeah if, uh, for listeners you you can find all this stuff at uh, Jeffbranchww.com so um, he has a lot he has all his plans out there as well as all of his uh, projects and and you have a blog that you actually uh, update. Mm -hmm.
2: I'm not doing that as much as, you know, I was having, I was getting good traffic and then, uh, I was posting about weekly and I went to just couldn't keep the pace up. And I went to about once every three weeks or so and my traffic just tanked. So, um, I'm just having fun with it and, uh, I am coming up on my next month. At some point next month is my tenth year of operating this blog, so it is something that I've not um, jumped into YouTube videos and stuff like that. So I'm just this is mm. what I do.
1: So, so uh, tell us a little bit about what projects do you have upcoming. Um
2: i want to build a new entertainment center what we have now uh i need a kind of credenza style entertainment center and actually started Mm -hmm. the design work on it and got stuck and uh my wife was wanting the end table so i went that route but i want to do a nice credenza style uh entertainment center so that's something that i'd like to do and then um I've got to tackle kitchen cabinets at some point. Oh. Ooh. I know. i got to come up with a, a doable solution for that, but um, uh, their cabinets are looking dated. It's time to replace them. And uh, I figure I can make the boxes, maybe order the door fronts, the drawers,
1: that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That probably, that's probably your best choice. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Uh, 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 woodworking um, um, acquaintance, so to speak, in the Houston area. Um, he was a great woodworker, but he got out of that and got into uh, doing kitchen remodels. Uh-huh. and uh, And I talked to him a little bit about you know his new business stuff. He goes, "Oh yeah, just buy your cabinets, don't." he goes yeah i do do all these he goes the craft made cabinets are fantastic just buy those and be done with it It it's actually funny both of y'all's response was like uh yeah (laughs) well it's 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 a bunch of boxes and yeah if you go the whole thing where you're making all the uh, drawers and i can't do that Doors and all of that, it's just like, uh and then especially if you go, and I want to do inset cab inset doors <laughs> drawers.
0: You know, you know what? If you had to make one cabinet, it'd be a really interesting a project. Deal. Yeah. But by the yeah. seventh one, it's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah,
2: and especially if you had to do your own doors and drawers, that would be impossible. Yes, yeah. And then you gotta demo your entire kitchen. Mm-hmm that's part of the challenge is keeping yeah. my kitchen in operation while I replace the cabinets. Oh, exactly. You
1: know, you're going to be eating, you know, fast food every day <laughs> for <laughs> six, seven months. Yeah. Because it's never going to be done as quickly as you think it's going to be oh, done. No, it's not. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's yeah. That's that's one thing I don't I don't think I could tackle. <laughs> It's like I'll just buy them and have them installed. Well, I might be able to do the installation myself, but yeah, definitely buy them. Uh, but I think I think you I think you might have a, a workable plan if you build the boxes and then outsource the uh, the doors and drawers. Mm-hmm. That might be the way to go.
0: Will you because- will you build the boxes and then measure and then order the other components, or will you try to build the boxes around the other components?
2: I don't know yet. Um, I know that you can order uh, just about any size that you want, but I would have to design them to where I would at least consider that. I would look and see what is out there, what's easy to get, and then see if I can can incorporate
1: the design of the boxes around that. Yeah. Well, especially with your design skills, that should uh, help alleviate some of the concerns, being able just to ship those off and say, hey, here's what I need. Boom.
2: I actually am looking. There was uh, years ago. There was a episode of This Old House, and they did kitchen cabinets. And there was a place that would fabricate everything and just ship it to the uh, the local cabinet shop, and mm-hmm. then it would be, then it would be built. And I'm thinking, I wish I could find that episode and get that business name. It's probably out of business now. I
0: bet but if you look, you'll find that there's a number of companies that do that.
1: Yeah. Well. Yeah, because I know when um, the house I live in now, we actually had this built, and the builder did the kitchen cabinets himself. That's where he started was doing trim carpentry. So you and found your
0: love of finish, right?
1: Exactly, exactly, I did. But um, but he built all the boxes, but same story as he had another, he outsourced the uh, doors and drawers to a local company, a local local uh, mill works place, and they supplied all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you could probably find it pretty easily, even locally, maybe. And I look online
2: yeah. at what current cabinets, uh, how, you know, uh, com, look at what is being uh, used in kitchens right now. And they're not, a lot of them are still very simple in design. hmm So.
1: Yeah. So, well, you know, we'll, we'll be with you in spirit. <laughs> I'll, I'll,
2: if I if I tackle it, I'll be sure to put some pictures on Instagram for y'all to look at.
1: Yeah, it's like ugh, yeah, poor Jeff. Yeah, exactly. Poor Jeff, just like golly, he's doing the kid. Well, you you know what's coming up is uh, Nancy Hiller has her book coming out. On I was thinking about cabinets. that. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a great resource. You know, that might spur all of us on to try to tackle that.
0: I love Nancy. It's not for me on to make a kitchen
1: <laughs> But uh, and and you know might inspire me to hire Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can it might, might be in one of her books. That's exactly. So well with that said, why don't we move on to our fortnightly beer choices? So um so I guess I'll start off. I'm drinking the Barton House beer, which is the Carbach Hopadillo. Uh, so, um, and Diami, what are you drinking?
0: Well, uh, longtime listeners will remember that last fall I complained bitterly that it was too hot for Oktoberfests.
1: Um, thankfully, that has not pick proven- up a Christmas ale. Uh, I saw them in the stores, but I went going to pick up one.
0: <laughs> um, Thankfully, it's been a little bit cooler. Uh, I think right now it's in the low 60s. Um, So I am drinking what is arguably my favorite Oktoberfest is just uh, Sam Adams Oktoberfest. It's a nice, solid Marzen. It's a a good Oktoberfest.
1: Good. So, Jeff, do you have a recommendation for us?
2: Uh, This evening, it is the Back 40 Beer Company in Gadsden, Alabama, and I'm drinking naked pig pale ale
1: ooh nice (laughs) nice naked pig pale ale yeah I like that I like that I picked something with a good name there you go yeah I do I do that occasionally too I went yeah that's a great name wish the beer was as good but a lot of times it, it, it pays off usually the more obnoxious the uh I found more the the obnoxious the name is actually the uh, better the beer is in most cases
0: Tom used to always tell me you buy wine based on the picture on the bottle
1: <laughs> really yeah. really okay okay yeah it's
0: kind of the same theory
1: kind of the same theory yeah yeah so and uh, so the Sam Adams Oktoberfest Can't that's uh, I'll have to try that
0: it's a good yeah
1: they, Sam Adams I love their seasonal beers they usually do a do a decent job um, so anyway well with that said Jeff uh, where can folks find you on the interwebs well, my
2: uh, website is Jeff Branch, www.com, and on Instagram it's Jeff
1: O Branch. Okay. And Diami, where can folks find you?
0: I can be found at Modern dot or at Diami on Twitter or Penultimate Woodshop on Instagram, which I hear some people are using these days. I don't know, it's still a minor social network. And, um, and I'm Penultimate Beer on Untapped.
1: And you can always find me at Barton.Kyle on Instagram, the only social media platform that matters. And with that, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play Music or any podcatcher of your choice, and just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. Then you'll never miss any of our exciting episodes. And while you're there, please leave us a review.
0: And uh, you can check out the website, which is posted I Annually, <laughs> and uh, and that's that's really about it. So go find a local guild and help them write a uh, a grant application so I can get a whole bunch of band too, and then uh, go make something. Enjoy. Get get some friends over and feed it through the planer.